Father God, thank you for the privilege it is to gather as your people, to hear you speak through your word. Please thrill our hearts afresh with your truth and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So how can you spot a vegan? Well, they'll tell you about it, of course. We live in a world which loves to be seen. We live in a world which loves to be praised by men. And our culture is obsessed with image and reputation. So almost everything we do is governed by the question, what will people think of me if I do this? So look at the way we use social media, whether Facebook or Instagram, or MySpace if we're still living in the late 90s. And we use social media as a platform to present the best version of ourselves that we want everyone to see. So we post our successes, and we post our sun-soaked holidays and the perfectly well-behaved children. Rarely do we post our struggles or our anxiety or our frailty. Instead, we choose to hide behind a digital mask. Or look at our culture's obsession with body image. So we idolize the celebrities with the fame, the money, the good looks, the success. And it seems every magazine or advert or film we see tells us to look a certain way, or dress a certain way, or have a certain lifestyle. Hence, the cosmetic industry is thriving. For example, in the UK, we're spending £15.5 million every year on our eyebrows. I know it's ghastly, isn't it? <laughs> or look at the busyness of London jobs. There's a pressure to be seen as hardworking, and it's always seen as a virtue to work 50, 60 hours a week plus. And in some places, it's even seen to be a hero to not uh, go on holiday. And it's, so it's not hard to see how our culture loves to be seen. And in some sense, the religion of our age is its own reputation. But we're not immune from this love of reputation in the church. When we do things to be seen by people, to be praised by them, we're in danger of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is all about wearing a mask. We present one view of ourselves to the world, but inside our motives tell a different story. And there is nothing worse than religious hypocrisy. So maybe you're not a Christian here today, or you're looking into Christian things. And maybe one of the big reasons you're put off is that you see the same hypocrisy in the church as we do in the world. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. But more importantly, you're on the same footing as Jesus. The people who Jesus hammered most were the religious leaders. On the outside, they were very godly. They knew their Bibles back to front. They gave to the needy, they fasted, they prayed. And they did a whole host of other things. But on the inside, they were self-obsessed. But again and again, Jesus exposed their hypocrisy as we're going to see in our passage today. So we're picking up our series in the Sermon on the Mount, or Jesus' life, uh, uh, Jesus' mouth-watering manifesto, as we've been calling it. And it's a picture and the pattern of the Christian life. So we've seen the upside-downness of the kingdom, how it's the poor in spirit, the meek, the, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It's those people who are blessed. And we've seen how Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament, where the religious leaders had deflated the law. Jesus restores it to its original purpose, 
and he gets behind the Lord and addresses our hearts. And now we come to, to our next section in the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be focusing on the bits around the Lord's Prayer, so verses 1 to 8 and 16 to 18. And next week we'll look at the Lord's Prayer in more detail. And in our passage today, Jesus has three big take-home truths for us. And the first is this. Don't be like self-exalting hypocrites. So the structure of our passage is fairly straightforward. Jesus has a big headline for us in verse 1. And then three examples, giving, prayer, and fasting. So look down with me at verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The key phrase is that these hypocrites do these things to be seen by men. You see, the religious leaders did everything for show, to be seen as upright and godly and devout. And in each of the three examples, Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. So look at verse 2. So when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by men. Or verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. And again in verse 16, When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. And giving to the needy, praying and fasting, were all good things, well established, in the law. But these acts of righteousness were meant to be God-centered and to display his glory. So giving to the needy was meant to remind them of all the ways God provided for them in the wilderness and in the land. And similarly, prayer and fasting were meant to show our ongoing dependence on God. But these hypocrites had turned these acts of righteousness into ways to exalt themselves, to make themselves look impressive So everything they did was for maximum visibility. So as many people as possible would know just how upright they were. So not only do they announce their giving, they announce it with a fanfare of trumpets. I suppose this is where the phrase, don't trumpet your own cause, comes from. Not only do they do this in the religious sphere, in the synagogues, they do it on the streets, where the most people walk by. And they do it all for the applause of the crowds. It's pretty sickening, isn't it? What was meant to be an act of kindness had become an act of self-promotion. They were abusing the poor and the vulnerable for their own self-centered gain. Or look at the way they pray. They love to pray standing up so that their voices would carry further, not only in synagogues again, but on the street corners, so that they can be seen not only on one street, but on at least two. Their prayers weren't vertical to God, they were horizontal so that other people would overhear. And it's the same with their fasting. In all of these things, they've taken God out of the picture, and they were doing these things to exalt themselves. And it's so scandalous, isn't it? Because God in his infinite glory was meant to be the very center of everything. But in the very things designed to show his glory, they were putting themselves center stage. Now this is the very essence of sin. Sin is more than just rule-breaking, but it's putting ourselves in God's place and pushing him off his throne. And we live to exalt ourselves. But it's so much more ugly 
and repulsive, isn't it? When it's clothed in the, gla- in the guise of godliness, like these hypocrites. Now, we may think we may never announce our giving with trumpets. I don't know too many of us, any of us have done that. Who of us here has gone to a soup kitchen with a, with a marching band? But I think this self-exaltation manifests itself in more subtle ways. And we're not immune from, from this at St. John's. So we may take pride in doing things really well, whether it's praying theologically sound prayers or leading excellent Bible studies or putting on a brilliant holiday club. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with these things. They're all good things to do. But it's a problem if we do these things to be seen, to be honored by men. Or we may take pride in being servant-hearted, seen to be servant-hearted. So we may pat ourselves on the back for all the ways we serve, whether it's on music, or welcoming on the sound desk, or leading, or preaching even. And we may secretly love being the go-to person for these things. And Jesus is very clear. Don't be like these hypocrites. They have received the reward in full. And what's the reward? Simply the praise of men. And that's all they'll get. They'll have no reward from God. So what's the, what's the antidote to hypocrisy? How can we live lives of true integrity? So the religious leaders were hypocrites because they had taken God out of the picture and were living to exalt themselves. And so the antidote is restoring God to his rightful place as the most glorious, exalted person in the universe. It's by seeing his glory and seeing what he's done for us that true integrity is possible. And that takes us to our second heading that Jesus has for us. So don't be like self-exalting hypocrites, but remember you're God's adopted children. So if Jesus teaches anything in this passage, is that Christians have the astounding privilege of calling God Father. We're not to do our acts of righteousness before the eyes of men, but before your Father in heaven. Look how many times the phrase your Father comes in our passage. It's there in verse 1 and verse 4, verse, verse 6, verse 9. It comes up again and again. Christians have the astounding privilege of calling God Father. And this is the very heartbeat of the gospel, that Christians have been adopted as God's very own kids. Now, it would be an amazing thing if the, the good news about Jesus was just the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sins is no small things. Remember what it cost. Through Jesus dying on the cross in our place, as our sinless substitute, he drained the cup of God's wrath that would have taken an eternity to pour out on me. It's because of what he did on the cross that our infinite debt has been cancelled. But the good news about Jesus is so much more than being forgiven. Not only have we been forgiven, we've been declared righteous in his sight. Not only have we been justified, we've been adopted as God's very own children. But I don't think we grasp just how huge this privilege is. So how would we react if the Queen went about the streets of London, inviting homeless orphans to come and stay with her in Buckingham Palace? It would be in the headlines for weeks, wouldn't it? But instead of just inviting them to stay for a night, she chose to legally adopt them and gave them a permanent place and a share in her kingdom. Imagine then how we would react. 
Well, this is exactly what God our Father has done for us. God, in his boundless love, has invited us into the deepest, most intimate relationship with himself possible. He is not distant with his arms crossed, with a frown on his face. He's the perfectly loving Father, filled with overflowing delight for his children. And this is why Christianity is so different to other religions. No other religion can call God Father. No other religion is all by grace, what God has done inviting us into his family. And there's more. We share in the very relationship that Jesus has with the Father. Think about that for a second. So what do we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer? We pray, Our Father in heaven. We're praying alongside Jesus as our older brother. And Jesus flags up an extraordinary privilege that we can call God our Father. Because we're God's adopted children, we have the extraordinary privilege of confident access. So in the Old Testament, there were always barriers preventing access to God. So remember how the Israelites were told to keep back, keep the distance, otherwise they would burn up in God's holy presence at Mount Sinai, or the curtain separating the Holy of Holies. That acted as a giant no-entry sign saying, stay back, it's dangerous for a sinful people to live with a holy God. So if the mantra of the Old Testament was, keep your distance, stay back, the call of the New Testament is come near with confidence. And we see that confidence in the way Christians pray in our passage. So look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. The pagans pray with no confidence. They don't know to whom they pray. And so they end up trying everything. They pray to anyone. And they end up praying any sort of words in order to be heard. Ironically, the Lord's prayers become the most babbled prayer of all. But Christians pray to our Heavenly Father with confidence. It doesn't matter what words we say, or how we say them, or the direction in which we pray, or how we pray them. Our Father loves to hear us speak to him. He knows what we need, even before we ask him. And so can, can you see just how vast and astonishing God's mercy that he's lavished on us? That he, should, that he should call us his very own children. Charles Wesley, the famous hymn writer, put it brilliantly. Oh, how shall I the goodness tell, Father, which thou to me hast showed, that I, a child of wrath and hell, I should be called a child of God. And so can we see the abomination of living to exalt ourselves when we see what God has done. When we see the vastness of his grace and his mercy, then we see the horror of self-exaltation. And it's when we see the wonder that God has adopted us as his children, when we, that enables us to live lives of integrity. And that takes us to our final heading. Remember you're God's children, so live to exalt him in secret. So we're not to be like these hypocrites who do these acts of righteousness before the eyes of men. Instead, we're to do these things in secret with nobody watching except our Father in heaven.
We're not to hallow our own name, but we're to hallow his name. So look with me at verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand know what your do not let do not do not let your right hand know what your left is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. But look at verse six. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And it's the same with fasting as well. The key phrase here is that we're to exalt him in secret. You can tell a lot about a man by a man he is when no one else is looking. And that's what integrity is, being the same person when no one else is around. And so we're to exalt our father in secret, just like our elder brother, Jesus. So Jesus always lived to please his father. Jesus always was a man of utmost integrity, There was no gap between what he lived and what he preached. So in the the midst of his busyness, he always took time out to pray to his father. He never did anything for show or to make himself look impressive. His miracles were always to show compassion and never to exalt his own name. And ultimately, his love for the father led him to the cross to save us and bring glory to his name. So we, as God's adopted children, our primary audience isn't ourselves, isn't the people we see, but it's our Father in heaven. So our first question should be, well, not what other people think of me, but what will my Father in heaven think if I do this? And so Jesus instructs us to do these things in secret, when no one else is watching, to guard us against hypocrisy. So do we give to the needy in secret? Do we spend time praying to our Father in heaven? Do we fast for the things of God? Only you yourself can answer that. No one else can answer for you. And these are searching questions we must ask. But you you may say, if we do these things in secret, does that mean we should become monks and nuns and hide away in a monastery? Does this mean we're to never pray or give in public? Well, clearly not from other places in the Bible. Think of the many public prayers, like Solomon dedicating the temple, or Jesus' great high priestly prayer in John 17. But when we're up front, we need to guard our hearts to keep our motives pure. And one of the best ways to do that is by practicing practicing these things in secret. But do pray for the, the leaders of the church, as this is a particular temptation we face. And finally, what's the reward that our Father will give us? Well, surely it's overflowing joy in us as we live to please him. It's a reward we can experience now in some degree, but a reward we all know fully in heaven. And so let me close with a, with a story of a missionary. He was around at the same time as the Cambridge Seven, and the Cambridge Seven were all men of great worldly honor and prestige. Famously, the cricketer C.T. Studd was among them. Yet they all gave up their worldly prestige and their honor to be missionaries in China at the end of the 19th century, along with this other missionary. And this missionary went to work with opium addicts. And he lived among impoverished conditions. And he lived there to make Jesus known to them. And his motto was, I labor to make myself forgotten so that Jesus' name would be remembered. 
And the great truth is that his name has been forgotten in the sands of time. But you can be sure that his name is famous in heaven. So why don't we make that our motto? Let's labor to make ourselves forgotten so that his name would be remembered. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, praise you that you are the most glorious, exalted person in the universe. Praise you for the astounding privilege that we can call you Father. Praise you that we can approach you with absolute confidence through what Jesus has done. And so, Father, we're so sorry for all the ways we've lived to exalt ourselves. And we pray that your glory would be our highest concern and all our lives would be lived to the honour and glory of your name. In Jesus' name, and for your glory. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our final song, Your Glorious Cause, O God, Engages Our Hearts.